0: Law liberty and life in Jesus knowing how it all works. This is part 19 The title is a phrase right out of the text. You'll see us read it Do not turn your freedom Into an opportunity for the flesh. What does that mean? Those are Paul's words So we're going to look at Galatians 5 13 14 and 15 Get your Bible out. If you're at home, get your Bible out. I'm sorry, by the way, people in the, my understanding is I just got word here that people in the Fellowship Hall, South Sanctuary, that the sound isn't working. We didn't get it fixed, did we? Oh, we got it fixed. So you can all hear me. I hope you think that's an improvement. Galatians five thirteen to 15. Now, here's what you're going to notice. Paul has had some pretty stern words. He has two audiences, and he fluctuates between the two. Some really stern words for the false teachers, Judaizers coming from Jerusalem to these new Christians in Galatia, trying to pull them back under the regulations of the law to supplement their faith in Christ. Paul will have none of it, and he tears into them pretty good. Then he has comments that he makes to the Christians, to the new converts. That's where these words fit in. He's not talking directly now to the false teachers. He's talking to the church, these new Christians in Galatia. 5.13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's where I got the title. But serve one another... Through love. Which is really hard to do if you're just doing church online. Serve one another through love. It's the body. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But, look at these words. If you bite and devour one another. So he's talking Christians, how they treat each other. If you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Read that last sentence again, and imagine if Paul had lived to see the kind of things Christians say to each other via Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. Christians have never liked each other less and treated each other more satanically than on social media. Almost all of us need to repent. Be careful. If you bite and devour one another, watch out. You're going to be consumed by one another. The tone of Paul's writing changes as we reach the last two chapters of this letter to the churches of Galatia. I mean, actually, he... He begins to address the Galatians directly rather than rebuking and addressing the issues of the false teachers. As with most of Paul's letters, his concerns become more practical as he wraps up the letter than they are at the beginning. Most of Paul's letters, Galatians, Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, most of his letters outline theological principles first and then try to apply those principles in practical conclusions. We should probably learn something from that approach. Practical instruction without the theology behind it will almost always appear quickly attractive but be long-term powerless to change lives. You need the theology then applied in practice. Because we're not just a self-help group here. We're a God group. Verse 13 opens almost as a clone of verse 1. I'm talking chapter 5, verse 13, and chapter 5, verse 1. When you look at the two side by side, one, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Thirteen. For you were called to be free. Same idea, verse 1, verse 13. But then comes a very important distinction between those two verses, and it's what we're going to focus on. Both verses outline a call to freedom for Christians, and then both of the verses outline a threat to that freedom. But the threat is different in verse 1 from verse 13. Okay, that's what I want to say. In chapter 5, verse 1, and this is what we've been looking at, the threat to freedom is bondage to the legal keeping of the law. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's the idea of verse 1. That's not the threat Paul outlines in verse 13. Look at it carefully. For you're called to be free, brothers and sisters, but don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Can you see what Paul's doing here? He's just spent four chapters arguing the the futility of the law, the old covenant law, as a means of earning merit, earning your standing before God. And he's argued boldly That the law was never intended to be a ladder that we would climb up to heaven. God has always meant to supply the righteousness that he requires through faith and faith alone. I mean, just to repeat that principle, look. Galatians 3, 6 to 9. Remember he talked about Abraham... Just like Abraham who believed God, he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, there it is, they are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So God never had any other plan except to bless those who came to him by faith, not by works. And Paul writes to these Jewish false teachers, and he says, this goes right back to Abraham. This has always been God's plan. He says you can tell that because the law was something added, something that came after the promise of righteousness that was by faith through Abraham. You can see that in 3:17 and 18. My point is this, Paul says, the law, look at what he says, which came 430 years later, 430 years after God gave the promise to Abraham, does not invalidate a covenant previously established, the one by faith, the one previously established by God and thus canceled the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it's no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. All right. Paul, he just continues to chip away at it. We get tired of studying it. But he just chips away at the heart of legalism as an approach to earn merit before God. Every religion on the planet does that today. Paul would say the same thing. This won't work. This won't work. Those who are in Christ, Jesus, by faith, those are Abraham's true followers, true descendants. And it must have been hard for these Jewish legalists to hear that. That's Paul's argument. All through chapter 3, all through chapter 4, we've been studying it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, sorry, we are not children of the slave, Hagar, Ishmael, remember? But a slave of the free woman, Sarah. So that's Paul's dealing with the threat to freedom in Christ through legalism, 5 1. Now, after Paul has built this convincing case against these legalizing Judaizers, he's going to say, but legalism isn't the only danger to freedom, there's another one. He hasn't been talking about it yet. He introduces it in 5:13. It would be very easy for these people upon hearing Paul's argument being built up layer upon layer to conclude that legalism under the demands of the law that that was the only danger they had to avoid, but it wasn't. And that's the reason for highlighting the distinction between the two threats to Christian liberty. The first in verse 1, legalism, the law, works righteousness. The second in verse 13, there are two ways to live in bondage. One is to assume the role of establishing your merit before God, apart from Jesus Christ and his cross. The other way, The other way to live in bondage is to think that freedom in Christ means, and this is where the church might be today, to think that freedom in Christ means freedom to live as I please, independent of the Spirit controlling all of my actions inwardly. That's what Paul's talking about in 5.13, Think about our deliverance from the bondage of the law. Think of it as Israel's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. Think of it this way. And in fact, we know that using this is a pretty good picture of our own deliverance because it's used as a picture of our deliverance over and over in the New Testament. So we're on pretty good footing here. In fact... You'll see it in a couple of weeks. Jesus calls us to regularly celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper as a visible, physical reminder of what he accomplished for us. And he modeled that ordinance after the Passover meal celebrated by the Jews on the eve of their deliverance from Egypt. That's what we're pointing to when we gather around the Lord's table. And if there's anything we learn about Israel's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt, it's this. The deliverance they experienced wasn't just deliverance from Egypt. It was deliverance to the promised land. I mean, they were called to freedom, all right, but it wasn't a static freedom. Not a freedom to go anywhere and do whatever they wanted. Moses himself described Israel's freedom in perfect terms when he addressed Pharaoh... And said, the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. So we need this reminder. We need this reminder about the framework of Paul's words in these closing chapters. He gradually turns his attention from the first kind of bondage, legalism, keeping the law. He gradually turns his attention from that to the second bondage producer. The idea that Jesus paid it all, I get his credit card, and I can do what I want. And we all vacillate between these two extremes in the church. Either we focus... Too much on just outward customs, rules, regulations, and tabulate the keeping of them as some kind of personal achievement before God. Or, probably more commonly right now in today's church, we come to honestly believe that grace and freedom in Christ Jesus mean we no longer need to fear sin, we don't have to fear worldliness. Jesus automatically covers us with His. His divine credit card of forgiveness. The check's been taken care of at Calvary. And Paul's thinking about that now. Having spent two chapters on the dangers of trying to keep the law as a way of establishing merit before God. He says, don't don't go down that road, it won't work. And then it's like he says, but don't think because that's a mistake that you can do whatever you want. He says, that's a bigger mistake. And this is the grave danger. We're halfway done, but point number one. Christ's call to every Christian is a call to radical freedom. And freedom can't be maintained through the empty habit of living for self. For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, there it is, only... Here's the qualification. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity. Don't even think about it. Don't even open the door to it. An opportunity for the flesh. The flesh doesn't mean just, it means that, what's at the center of my life? My desires, my values, my wants. What, What makes me happy? Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but see, there's still this serve one another through love. As surely as the condemnation of the law will destroy your freedom, legalism doesn't work, so will the casting aside of restraint in the pursuit of your own pleasure. It's just as disastrous. Freedom is always a risky thing. That's because freedom... Freedom isn't a thing that's complete in itself. Freedom is only, it's only the opportunity for something else. Remember the illustration of the deliverance of Israel from Egypt? I mean, Israel was free to embark on her journey. People were free to use their freedom to get where God wanted them to be. It was freedom heading somewhere. Freedom moving somewhere. There was a direction to the freedom. Those who think freedom is is merely casting off restraint, who picture freedom as just the capacity to do their own thing, they always suffer the most cruel and suffocating bondage in this world. And so Paul pleads with these people. Having just denounced the danger of returning to works, merit, putting themselves under the laws of, in this case, ethnic Judaism, but any religion, to earn righteousness. He says, no, you need the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. And then he pleads with these same people, don't, don't prostitute your freedom by using it just to gratify your own desires. You were called to be free, brothers and sisters, 13, Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's a mistake. Look at the things Paul has his mind set on when he talks about the flesh. He tells us, don't use your freedom for any of these things. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Moral impurity. Promiscuity idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Have you noticed how angry Christians get when they post things online about everything? And how James says our anger doesn't work the righteousness of God, not ever. Next time you feel like you're just going to blow up about, about, I don't know, vaccines or masks and you just got to get in there and I want to get this solved and you feel that rage coming up, just say to yourself, God's not in this. God's not in this. You can't work anything of God's grace in a situation like that. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, or anything similar. He says, this isn't a complete list. I'm warning you about these things. As I warned you before, that those who practice such things, say those words with me, will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are people who aren't getting in. Every one of these things, every one of those things, hear me, is a free choice wasted. Every one of them represents the evaporation of Joy. Every one of those things is a picture of freedom crushed, turned into bondage. Every one of them is a picture of loss of self respect, loss of self control. Every one of them began in an opportunity and ended in being shut out of the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying, Don't be so blind with your deceptive sense of what freedom is all about. Point number two. Freedom can only be protected and savored in Christ and through love. This is 13 and 14. For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But, here's the contrast, serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so having defined the danger of losing precious freedom through, through self-satisfaction, Paul says there's an antidote. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 13b, but serve one another through love. Or maybe we can put the same words, same idea in different words. Loving service to others is the way not to turn your freedom into bondage and an opportunity for the flesh. Or even more simply, loving service to others Protects your freedom in Christ. Loving service to others protects your freedom in Christ. If you get an opportunity to serve in some way in your local church and all you see is something cramming into your busy schedule, you don't understand that what's being offered you is an opportunity to protect your freedom in Christ. That's what Paul says. Serving others exercises my freedom in Christ. Like lifting weights exercises muscles in a gym. I've heard that. Conversely, justifying and feeding my own fallen desires only builds and exaggerates my inner emptiness. All of this root has its roots in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, Galatians 5, 13, and 14, it really can't be separated from Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Now, the life I now live in the body. Okay? That's right now. That's that's the life of service to Christ and others. That's what he's talking about there. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So each act of loving, devoted service to others in the body of Christ demonstrates my freedom and satisfaction in Christ Jesus. We can love people selflessly, even people who are difficult to love because we're no longer using people or using things to fill up our empty lives. So through Christ, we love people out of the fullness we have already received of His grace through the indwelling Spirit. Satisfaction in the reign of Christ is the deepest kind of freedom. It lets you serve others without being paid back. It lets you serve others without rac- recognition. It's, it's the freedom you were created for. This is the huge practical difference, the indwelling Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's, it's the big difference that it makes. All of the works of the flesh are manifested by the desire to fill up my own emptiness. And Paul says, 1 Corinthians thirteen five. Love does not seek its own. Love isn't oriented that way. Why? Because love is the overflow of a full life. There's no desperation in it. Love is the overflow of a free life that isn't enslaved to filling itself up by acquiring things, manipulating people, Here's the difference. Maybe this picture will help. Christ-filled love for others is like the overflow of a fountain. In fact, Jesus said that. Springs of living water welling up. So, the life of Christ results in love for others like the overflowing of a fountain. The life of the flesh is like a vacuum cleaner, not a fountain. It's like a vacuum cleaner that just sucks up everything it can find. That's why the life of the flesh always destroys freedom. It becomes desperate. It becomes habitual. The life of the flesh is always a life of craving. The life of the flesh is always driven by inner emptiness. Find me a person who is only fully engaged when he is acquiring things or dominating people or getting even, and I'll show you an empty person who hasn't discovered how life can be richly satisfied in Christ Jesus. Find me a person who is obsessed with personal vengeance and evening up scores with people who have wronged him, and I'll show you a person who hasn't found his personal satisfaction in the riches of Christ. Show me a person for whom the only buzz life holds is a frantic social life, or filling up with material goods, and I will show you a person who, if he could only see it, has not filled up the emptiness of his life with the riches of Christ. He's not satisfied. Remember the difference between a fountain overflowing with satisfied fullness in Christ and a vacuum cleaner sucking up all it can find to cure its emptiness. That's why freedom can only come through devotion to Christ and never through the flesh. That's what Paul says. Don't use your freedom, 513, as an opportunity for the flesh. There's nothing but emptiness there. Nothing. Three. Almost done. Hang in. How spiritual people fulfill the law of God. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is, there's that word, fulfilled. In one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. So, the spirit-filled life is not under the law, danger number one, as a means of earning righteousness and merit before God. But, 5.13, the spirit-filled life is also not just bypassing holiness, in an attempt to live independently of God's will. No, neither of those. The indwelling Christ fulfills the law through loving service to others. So, so the spiritual person, the Christ-filled person, he does fulfill the law of God, because the sacrificial laws all those regulations of the Old Testament, those are already fulfilled in Jesus, and I am in Christ through his finished work. The moral law of God, the law that Paul says is written on our hearts, it's fulfilled as I love God with all my heart and my neighbor as myself. So, so the free righteousness of Christ imputed and my grateful love for Christ, those are the, those are the two power plants Of love for God and others. I want to show you how this works in one text now. The love of Christ, the love he lavished on me, it becomes the pattern and the motive for holiness and loving service to others. And I want to show you one text as we wrap up that ties it all together. You know these words. For... Interesting here. Look what he says. The love of Christ compels us. So this is Paul not living aimlessly Carelessly, but it's not law that compels him. Do you see that? What what compels Paul what drives him to serve? He spent his life serving Holy sacrificial serving what made him do it a rule. No, he says it was the it was the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all, there's the love of Christ again. And therefore all died. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's the flesh. But when you understand this, the love of Christ, it kills this. They should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. Sixteen. From now on, then we do not look at, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Because of this, the love of Christ. I'm making a mess, aren't I? He says, I don't, I don't look at people the same anymore. I don't use people. I don't strike back at people. I don't have to get even with people. Because of. The love of Christ for me, I was a guilty sinner. I was marvelously saved by nothing but grace. He says, now I don't look at anybody the same way. I can't. How, How can I, how can I look at anyone with anything but the kind of love that I have received when I didn't deserve it? Because I'm surrounded by people who don't deserve mine. So are you but I don't look at them the same anymore. I've been changed by the love of Christ. See the fuel, the fuel in the tank? It compels. Doesn't lead to me doing my own thing, doing whatever I want. No, it controls. You don't bypass holiness, but the motive for holiness isn't a law. It's a person. It's Christ. To miss that is to miss what Christianity is. Okay, I'm running out of time. Sorry. Move on up there. Four. Point number four. I want to talk to you about where ugly, violent living comes from. And I don't just mean Russia. I mean us. Galatians 5.15 But if you bite and devour one another... This is something you've got to really be careful about, Paul says. And this is before social media. Watch out. Church, church, watch out for this. Or you'll be, there's nothing good here, you'll be consumed by one another. You'll be consumed. This is more than a cute conclusion to this section on Freedom being found only through walking in the love of God. I said before that loving acts are free because they come from the overflow of the fullness of God's all-satisfying love in our hearts. And then I said, the life of the flesh can only bring bondage because it's motivated like that vacuum cleaner, motivated by emptiness in the heart. Things have to be acquired. People have to be controlled. I have to have my way. And that's why Paul wraps, well, this section up with this picture of animals devouring each other. I used to like watching, I still do those National Geographic things where you watch like a pride of lions hunting at night and they pull down a big ant and you just see them devouring each other. And Paul says, Christians get like that. Are you hearing me? Paul says, Christians get like that. Christians in Cedarview Community Church can get like that. They, those animals, they, they, they can't help it. They're driven by instinct. They're driven by appetite. That's what happens when you live by your desires. The vacuum cleaner. It's inevitable. That's Paul's whole point. This is the only possible result of the life of the flesh. You think you're doing what you want but if I'm doing what I want and you're doing what you want, we're gonna collide. We're gonna collide. People collide over they collide during this pandemic. They collide over vaccines. You you seen Christians? I don't care what position you have, you seen Christians doing this? They collide over masks. They collide over distancing. Paul says, they're just going to devour each other. There's nothing good here. No wonder Paul says, you know, you have to walk in the Spirit. Man's anger does not work the righteousness of God. You can't, you can't live by your own instincts and desires anymore because you've been graced. Not just with a law to keep. Rules. with a love to manifest in the person of Jesus Christ you know what this is just something you never arrive at right this is something you just keep oh yeah I thought I had that I thought I had that learned sorry and you start all over again bring it back to the feet of Jesus just a child getting learning the ropes and I want to keep growing in that don't you didn't sound very enthusiastic don't you want to keep growing in that yeah, yeah. And so, Lord, teach us by your word and through your spirit. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in all of our words, in all of our actions, in our attitudes. We don't want to be like the vacuum cleaner, sucking everything inward. We want to be that overflowing fountain of life that reaches us with the same grace that we undeservedly received ourselves first. And that will fulfill all the laws that I need to keep. We ask it in Jesus' name.